Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. We're continuing our series in Title 10. And by the end of this series, we trust that you will have a better picture of God's love as expressed in the giving of his commandments, which result in life as he originally intended as we learn to love and obey him. Today, we're going to take a closer look at the sixth commandment, and it's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. There you have it. We'll read it together. Very simple. You shall not murder. This command is both simple and yet also complex. We'll begin with simple. Originally, this command was written in the Hebrew language, and it's been translated into English, but don't let that bother you. This book is the has been, had the best translation of any book in the world. It's actually two words, which are no murder. The first word, not really debated. This entire sermon will be on the second word. We're looking at the meaning and the implications of one word in the Bible. Because all scripture is inspired by God and profitable, and because Jesus said every single word matters and counts. And very few words matter as much as this one word. As I said, this command is both simple and complex. Let's start with simple. Why does God prohibit the sin of murder? In Genesis 9-6, we read, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. The sixth commandment forbids murder because all people are created in the image of God. Human life is precious, which is why we should care for it. Every human is made in the image and the likeness of God, and therefore, they are worth caring for. We don't kill because life itself is a gift from God. The Bible reveals that we are not the result of millions of years of chance reactions. Evolution says we're lucky animals. The Bible reveals that we are image bearers of God himself. God made the animals. He loves them. He provides for them. But then God made man in his image. So in the order of creation, we have God, and then there's man, and then there's the animals. We're in between. We're lower than God, but we're above the animals. You know, if my house was on fire, and I had to make a choice between choosing to save my child or my cat... I would save my child first. We love our cat. But if I had to choose between one or the other, I would save my child first. And the point is this. We inherently know that there is higher value in human life. We know there's something special about us. And the reason God says don't murder is not because it's not nice or it's inconsiderate or it's rude. There's a bigger issue here. The reason God says don't murder is because we bear the image of God himself. Murder is not just an offense against the person. It's an offense against God who created that person in his image and in his likeness. Jesus put it this way. He said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. Why does God prohibit the sin of murder? The first reason is because murder destroys the image of God in man. The second reason is this. Murder is an evil result of the heart. Murder involves more than just killing. Murder is more than the physical act. 
It's also an attitude of the heart. Jesus said this issue includes our attitude and our words. You know, probably the people that make us angry the most are the people that are closest to us. Anybody ever experienced that? Or is it just my family? <laughs> you know, a, a brave reporter once asked Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, he said, did you ever consider divorce? Because, you know, he traveled the world and he was so busy and she was often left at home alone with the kids. And she said, divorce? She said, never. She said, murder? Several times. <laughs> the people closest to us often make us the most angry. And more than likely, Jesus had the story of Cain and Abel in mind when he spoke of anyone who was angry with his brother. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with the brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother, you idiot, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus makes it clear murder begins in the heart. It begins with an idea, it begins with words, it begins with insults, with criticism, sarcasm, shaming, and ridicule. It begins with devaluing the person. Murder requires intention and premeditation. Did you know that there was never an action that a person committed without thinking about it first? There's never been a single action that wasn't thought about first. Listen to this description from Exodus chapter 21. Anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. However, if he does not do it intentionally, but God lets it happen, he is to flee to a place I will designate. But if a man schemes and he kills another man deliberately, take him away from my altar and put him to death. Why does God prohibit the sin of murder? Murder is an evil result of the heart. As I mentioned in the beginning, this command is both simple and complex. Let's talk about the complicated part. Some translations say, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill can result in a different application, such as you should never defend yourself. This way of thinking says if someone breaks into your home and they're harming your family, that you should let them go instead of taking their life. King David, the greatest warrior who ever lived, was a man after God's own heart, but he would have never let anybody harm his family. There are two Hebrew words for killing. One of them is muth. Muth means to kill, to have one executed as a penalty, to be put to death. The other word is ratzak. Ratzak refers to unjustified killing, that is, the shedding of innocent blood. Ratzak also covers deaths due to carelessness or neglect. This is the Hebrew word, ratzak, that is used in the Sixth Commandment. The modern-day examples would be voluntary and involuntary manslaughter. This is why most modern translations read, you shall not murder rather than you shall not kill. If the intended meaning of thou shalt not kill 
meant no killing. It would render all the Old Testament sacrifices conducted by the nation of Israel as a violation of God's very own commandment. But God does not break his own commandments. Amen? Let's consider a few examples. You tell me if this is murder. Self-defense or a soldier waging a just war or a police officer returning fire. Is that murder? No. How about this? How about acts of terrorism? Is that murder? So, to be clear, the sixth commandment is talking about the shedding of innocent blood, which brings us to our third point. As we get to our third point, um, as I was sitting there in worship today, I felt like God was leading me to change how I end this message. And so bear with me as I, I do my best to follow what I sense God would have. This commandment, thou shalt not murder, is aimed at the sanctity of human life in the eyes of God. Now, I don't think we can cover this topic and say that we've spoken the truth in love without bringing up a very delicate issue, a very controversial issue. But before I do, I just want to set the stage. I just want to declare a truth for us in our hearts, in our minds, over all of us, just to keep this in mind as we go through something that can be very difficult. There is no condemnation in Christ. There is no condemnation in Christ. Having said that, I want to approach this very carefully. Since Roe versus Wade... There have been over 56 million babies that have died and gone to heaven. We are probably closer to 60 million by this point in time. The world is asleep, and the world is deceived. And you will hear the message that it's not really a person, that it's just some tissue, and that it's It's not a big deal. The world is asleep and deceived. People who support pro-choice, they would not want you to see an ultrasound just weeks into a pregnancy because they know once you see a picture, you're going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that is a person. But sometimes what we don't see, we're deceived by what we don't because of what we don't know and another message that is being communicated to us. You know, as Christians, we are little Christs that are to be called out from the world to be set apart from it, not to be like it. One of the other deceptions that is very much prevalent in the media is the idea that this is a woman's issue. The idea that it's an issue between the rights of the woman's body and the rights of the baby. It is not. That is a symptom. It is a symptom of the real issue. This is not a woman's issue. This is a men's issue. The Lord says, this is the very last verse of the Old Testament. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents... mm, This is the NIV. Some translations say he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. 
and the hearts of the children to their parents. In the New American Standard, NIV is a thought-for-thought translation. New American Standard is a word-for-word translation. In the New American Standard, it says, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. It's significant that I point that out because God addresses fathers. He doesn't address mothers. I was saying earlier, this is a men's issue. Wherever there are men who honor God, wherever there are men who honor women, wherever there are men who honor their own identity in Christ, wherever there are men who say to their woman, I will honor you and I will not take the most that you can give before I make a public commitment that I will take care of you and I will take care of our children until the day we die. Whenever you have men like that, abortion is not an issue. That's the root cause. It's a men's issue. When men rise up to honor God and take responsibility for themselves and for their families, this is not an issue. This is a controversial subject. It's interesting. Our our community is split. And I'm not just talking about liberals and conservatives. I'm talking about the scientific community and the judicial community is split. Science has long known, since, ever since, that if something grows, it is alive. The judicial community has not come into that reality. They are not accepting that fact. And so we have laws that allow Roe versus Wade to continue. I trust by now, as we're going through this series on the Ten Commandments, that you've picked up the idea that these are not the ten suggestions, they're not the ten considerations, they're not the ten options. These are the ten realities that we cannot violate without consequence. There will be consequence when we violate these ten realities. God speaks about it in Genesis when he spoke to Cain. Cain, as you know, he killed his brother because of jealousy. His brother Abel brought an offering to the Lord that the Lord regarded. Cain brought an offering that God did not regard. That's a whole other message right there, but it's a powerful message. We talked about it months ago when we did our series called The Blessed Life. And I don't have time to get into all of that today. But Cain was jealous of his brother. And so he killed him. And God came to him and said, What did you do? He said, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, no longer will the ground yield good crops to you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. My wife has had the opportunity to counsel many women who have had abortions. And we had read about it, in preparing to meet the need of people recovering from abortion. But she was able to experience for herself in talking to people who are actually going through the process that there is something called the aftermath of abortion. And many times, I don't think we've ever found an exception. I should say all the time, because God's word is true. 
Women who have had abortions, they're going through financial difficulties and they feel like they don't have a place where they belong. They don't feel settled and at home. And this is what the Lord said would happen when there's shedding of innocent blood. This is the first record in the Bible of the shedding of innocent blood. He said, as a result... See, back in those days, agriculture was the economy. Today, we live with a monetary system. But the idea was your source would be limited as a result of your guilt of shedding innocent blood. And oftentimes, women that my wife have counseled has counseled, they, they feel like they have a wandering spirit. This is another result of having had an abortion. Now, I know this is heavy. Only Jesus can heal us. Only Jesus can heal our lives and heal our hearts. And I want to minister to that need. King David... He was a man after God's own heart. But during a bad season, he committed adultery, and then he committed murder to try and cover it up. So whether it's abortion, or whether it's what Jesus said when it's a matter of the heart, maybe you're just angry at somebody, and you're against a brother. God says there are consequences. If you go on to read that passage in Matthew 25, when Jesus says it's a matter of the heart, He says it's like you're in a prison and you don't get out until the last penny is paid. The good news is that Jesus paid the price. You don't have to remain in the prison of guilt. Jesus paid the penalty for us. It's already done. It's already finished. The key is for us to confess and repent in order to receive what Jesus has already done for us. Jesus sets us free from the penalty. In Psalm 51, David was praying to the Lord and he said, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And here's the significance of that word picture, snow. That's a snowflake on the screen. I don't know if you knew this, But in order for a snowflake to form in the atmosphere, there has to be a speck of dust in order for the formation process to begin. Here's the point. At the center of every snowflake is a piece of dirt. And Jesus says, if you will come to me in confession and repentance, I will cleanse you and I will make you whiter than snow. He'll remove every impurity, everything that defiles us. David went on to say, purify me from my sins. Clean me, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let's bow our heads and pray. Just wanted you to take a moment to say, God, how are you speaking to me? And if the Lord has brought to your attention that it's an issue of the heart or maybe a thing in your past, that there's freedom. There's freedom for you.
Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, wipe out the stain of my sins. Wash me completely from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Lord, I ask that you would restore my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Forgive me for having murder in my heart or for shedding innocent blood, O God, my Savior. And then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Father, I ask you to bring freedom from guilt and shame and condemnation and allow me to praise you with my whole heart. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that there is no condemnation in Christ. And if you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I would like to give an opportunity for anybody here, if you've been sensing that God's been trying to get your attention, and you came here today because you're seeking Him, and if you've not yet made a formal choice to open up to God and say, God, I invite you to come into my life. If you've not made a conscious decision to receive him into your life, I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that today. It's real simple. You simply have to make the choice. And then you need to express that to God. The Bible says if you, can, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so that's simply what we call prayer, talking to God. So I'm going to pray out loud and invite you to pray along with me in your heart, and God will hear you. Father God, I come to you today because I recognize that you've been getting my attention, and that's why I'm here. And today, God, before you, I'm making a choice to open up. I want to open my mind, my heart, my inner being, and invite you to come into my life. I ask your spirit to come into me, and I ask you to forgive me for anything that I've done to hurt myself or to hurt others, but most of all, things I've done to separate me from my relationship with you. God, I'm sorry, and I ask you to forgive me by the blood of Jesus. I thank you for Jesus and what he did for me on the cross and I accept his salvation. I accept his payment for me. And I just take a moment right now, God, to receive your spirit and receive your forgiveness. I receive your cleansing from guilt. I receive your grace. Lord, I receive this new gift of life to start over. God, give me a fresh start. Show me how to live your way. And most of, God, most of all, God, would you reveal yourself to me 
I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.